Big Rick Podcast. The best of the biggest interviews from Big Rick in the Morning on iHeartRadio, Apple, or Google Podcasts, or anywhere podcasts are heard. See more info now at onairwithrick.com. This is Rand Palm. Good morning, Senator Paul. How are you? Very good. So I haven't talked to you in a little while. I know that you were recently recovering from surgery. Just wanted to get an update and see how you're feeling, man. I'm doing pretty well. I've had a tough summer, but uh, I've been getting better each and stronger each day. Good to hear. Good to hear. Well, uh, Senator Paul, let's get right to it. You know, there's a lot of lot of information, a lot of different angles, different takes on this uh, impeachment inquiry. I know the Democrats uh, put out some information yesterday on some rules and how they're going to do things. Just wanted to get your comment on the latest on the impeachment inquiry real quick. You know, I think the one thing that's obviously true is that both parties have been trying to influence Ukrainian aid to get what they want. Um, In fact, it seems like there's a long history of it, going back to Joe Biden saying that he would cut off a billion dollars worth of aid if they didn't fire the prosecutor that was investigating his son. You know, Hunter Biden making $50,000 a month obviously raises some uh, concern over corruption. But also, Senator Menendez in the last year sent a letter to the Ukrainian government saying, you know, our support for your bi- our bipartisan support for your aid, um, you know, may be called into question if you don't continue to investigate President Trump. So I think that really both parties have been involved with trying to influence uh, Ukrainian aid. And so I guess from my perspective, I think this is a partisan thing that they seem to look the other way when it was Democrats threatening Ukrainian aid. And now if the president were involved with uh, questions with regard to Ukrainian aid, uh, that all of a sudden it's an impeachable offense. I think the American people are going to see this as a purely partisan exercise. Yeah, and if if they work this through Congress and get it to the Senate, I mean, just, you know, I, I know you can't predict the future, but it, what's your take on how this is all going to go down? I think it's going to be a party-line vote. I think uh, virtually all the Democrats in the House will vote to impeach, and virtually all the Republicans in the Senate will vote against impeachment. And uh, I think in the end the public's going to have to make their own decision, but I think there's a lot to be said for the fact that people want people to be treated fairly, and it doesn't appear to be fair that we have one standard for President Trump, and then we have another standard for Joe Biden. So, I mean, if it's wrong to influence aid and to ask countries specifically to do one thing or another, then really it should be wrong for Democrats and Republicans. I don't know how it could only be seen as being wrong for President Trump. I think in the end it's a wash, and people will say, well, it looks like a partisan thing. They tried to impeach a president over things that they're doing themselves. Gotcha. Let's uh, move on to the recent news of uh, the ISIS leader. I I, I can't say his name, Senator Paul. Maybe you can, but he was uh, killed by U.S. forces. A a big win on the war on terror, too. Uh, I'd just like your comments on that real quick and, and how that all went down, and what are your thoughts on it? You know, I think a good thing. He was a barbarian. He was a rapist. He was a murderer. Uh, Really, he took murder, rape, and barbarity to a new low, probably. So I don't think anybody mourned his death or his second-in-command. I think President Trump's done a good job in the sense that all of the land that they were controlling, the so-called caliphate, has been taken back. 
their leadership has been decimated. And I think this is an argument for now letting the people who live there uh, try to control these people. The element of um, sort of the ideology of radical Islam still exists, radical jihadism. There probably is a possibility that ISIS could try to raise its head again. But really, I think they've been decimated to such an extent that really the people who live there should try to keep them in check. I think that ultimately Islam has to police Islam, that the longer we stay in these areas, the more then we become sort of a magnet and a recruiting tool for more terrorists. But if they're being killed by the local Syrian government or by the Kurds or by the Turks, I think then it takes out the element of sort of this being Christians versus Muslims. Really, in the end, it needs to be Muslims policing Muslims. Speaking of that, the the president did receive some criticism about how he pulled out of Syria. Uh, I, I would like your comments on that and, and how you think the U.S. is handling that as of right now versus when he pulled the troops out a couple of weeks ago. Actually, I think the president's done a, a great job. I think it was a wise decision. There were 50 soldiers uh, amidst the onslaught of tens of thousands of Turkish soldiers when mm. the Turkish president said that these troops are coming in one way or another. I think it would have been foolish to leave 50 troops in, in line of 10,000 troops. The interesting thing that a lot of people in the public don't know is they our troops have orders not to shoot Turks anyway, and the Turks have orders not to shoot the U.S. Army because we're ostensibly NATO allies. So really, they weren't much of a deterrent, but they would be in the middle of a bombing zone. And so really, not only did our troops move back, our 50 troops, the Kurds pulled back, and then we got a ceasefire. So I think this was a big breakthrough by Vice President Pence and Secretary of State Pompeo to immediately be in Turkey to get a ceasefire. And really, um, to start to get some cooperation again from Erdogan, he's not been a, a great ally of late. He bought missiles uh, from Russia in defiance of the will of NATO. So I think it's a work in progress. But I'm hopeful that the realignment actually gives us a chance for peace in Syria. The problem, as I see it, is peace in Syria ultimately involves negotiating with Assad, uh, Assad is uh, not a savory character. He's a guy that's not going to win humanitarian award, mm-hmm. any humanitarian award. He's a dictator. He's a despot. He's gassed his own people. And yet, he somehow survived eight years of civil war. And so really, ultimately, I think if the Kurds want some kind of autonomy within Syria, they're going to have to negotiate with uh, the person who controls most of the rest of Syria, and that's Assad and the Russians. And uh, I think there's actually a chance for peace to come out of that because we have always refused to deal with Assad. We have said he's got to go, but he hasn't gone and he hasn't been defeated after eight years. And so I think really, ultimately, there is a possibility that the Kurds will probably have to not uh, keep the oil for themselves in their area. They're going to have to learn to share it with the federal government. And that's what's happened in Iraq. The Kurdish area of uh, Iraq actually shares the proceeds with the federal government. And there's at least a uh, a semblance of peace between the Kurds in Iraq and the Iraqi government. I think you could get that in Syria again, but uh, it'll have to be the sort of the realistic notion that we have to deal sometimes with people we wish we wish were not in power. Senator Rand Paul is on the Goober 95.1 hotline, part of our State of the State segment. Uh, Senator Paul, I'd like to go back to the uh, the, the story of the uh, ISIS leader being killed. On a lighter note, Senator, what did you think of the declassified dog picture? 
You know, uh, it is amazing <laughs> that dogs are able to help and protect our soldiers, and the dogs are able to take some of the risks that our soldiers don't have to take. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we have friends of our family who serve in the military and, and maybe in these uh, very dangerous situations, so I'm glad to hear that they have highly trained dogs, and the dogs are incredibly smart. They're able to not only sniff for bombs, I think they actually can uh, target individuals in a way. So, I mean, it's pretty amazing what the dogs can do. And uh, it's great that not only none of our soldiers died, but apparently uh, none of the dogs died either. Yeah, that's great news. Now, real quick, uh, I just have to had to uh, press just a little bit. Uh, we weren't able to get the name of the dog for classified reasons, but if you could pick a name, what would it be? <laughs> I'm afraid I can't help you there, but uh, uh, how about good boy, good boy? There we and, go. Uh, now I don't, I don't have a help for you with there, but uh, it is great that we do have these dogs and they're highly trained and help to save lives. Uh, finally, uh, I, before we ask what's on your mind, which we always do at the end of our segment, I would like to ask about your uh, take on the statewide races right now in Kentucky, especially that heated race for governor. Election day is just around the corner, too. Um, I just like would like you to comment on that just a little bit. I think Governor Bevin's done a good job. We have some of the lowest unemployment uh, in my lifetime in Kentucky. As I travel the state, uh, business owners are optimistic. In fact, the biggest problem they have is not finding enough workers, and that's sort of a sign of a really healthy economy. So I think Governor Bevin's done a good job and will be reelected. Um, it may be close, but I think some of the polls are starting to solidify now and show his lead. Uh, Kentucky's becoming a more conservative and more Republican state. And I think the National Democrat Party has lurched so far to the left, it's hard for Democrats to win statewide races in Kentucky now because um, really the Democrats I know are conservative, church-going, family people just aren't really that interested in the, the wild craziness of the National Democrat agenda. Uh, also, I've always admired you because you, you're you're a constitutional scholar, and I always love your explanation on citizen duty. So, talk about uh, the responsibility we have as a public, as citizens, to go out and vote uh, this coming Tuesday. I think the system only works if we do vote, and uh, it's kind of interesting when you discover how few people actually do vote. It's about 50% of eligible voters register to vote. That means only half the people that could vote are even registered. Of those who are registered, less than half vote. Sometimes about half or a little over half will vote in a presidential election, but in a governor's election, um, because it's an off year and there are no other candidates on the ballot other than st- you know the statewide races, um, you sometimes will get even less than half the registered voters, maybe 30 or 40 percent of registered voters. But, uh, yep, you don't have a, too much of a right to complain if you're unwilling to vote. And so I'm all for people getting out and voting. And if you have, want to have more, in fact, you know, make phone calls to your friends, knock on doors. There's all kinds of ways you can actually amplify your voice if you really want to get involved. Okay, Senator Rand Paul on the Goober 95.1 hotline as part of our State of the State segment. Finally, Senator, as we always ask you, what's on your mind right now? We've just introduced legislation to try to figure out how we could find some money for um, to find some money for uh, infrastructure, and so we have a new bill called the Penny Plan for Infrastructure, and what it does is it takes the rest of the budget and cuts it one percent, and puts that one percent cut into an infrastructure fund so we can re- replace some of our roads and bridges that are wearing out. And um, a lot of people say they're for infrastructure, Republicans, Democrats, Independents. It's sort of one of the things that unifies us. 
but no one's been able to find the money. So mine is a plan that actually is for infrastructure, but actually has a way of finding the money without raising taxes or raising spending. We just take some of the spending we think is being wasted elsewhere in the budget and put it into an infrastructure fund. Okay. And finally, um, I did get an email from your office. You do have an event coming up in Bowling Green very soon. I, I, I know there's some details that need to be worked out, but can you tell us more about that real quick? Well, the event that's coming up, uh, you're referring to? The Taxpayer Advocate Services Day, uh, where our office uh, reaches out um, and provides information uh, for people that need help with those things. And if they need um, that information, they can call our Bowling Green office at 270-782-8303 or go to our website. And that'll be um, this Friday from 10 to 3 um, at the Nicely Center at Western. That was Kelsey Cooper, my yes. uh, communications director, doing an able assist at the last minute because <laughs> I didn't have all the details. But thanks for having me on, Big Rick. All right. Thank you, Rand. Thanks for listening to the Big Rick Podcast. Remember to subscribe on iHeartRadio, Apple, or Google Podcasts or anywhere podcasts are heard. See exclusive video interviews and content now with the Big Rick in the Morning YouTube channel. Subscribe now at onairwithrick.com.